Half of the ink now that we see in the Gospel of John is now focused on this final, final stage of Jesus's service to us. But before he then brings it in close with just his disciples, we have this final statement from Jesus. And I'm going to I'm going to begin in verse 35. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Who is the them? It is mainly the Jewish leaders that have congregated around him and as well as his disciples, of course. But this seems to be rather directed at not the massive amount of Passover celebrants that have all gathered into Jerusalem at this time. There are a million people that have crowded Jerusalem at this time At moments. He's he's preaching to all of those crowds. But now he seems to be focusing it in on those who have now come to criticize him most soundly, not the the crowds of the Jewish followers, but in particular, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, who felt like they had a lot to lose if this Jesus guy really is all that he says that he is. And so he then addresses them saying, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished saying, speaking this, Jesus, this is intense. Jesus left and hid himself from them. That's rather ominous, isn't it? It's almost as though he is acting out a parable to those who decide to persist in unbelief for those who decide as as these people had to just simply dabble with trust in Jesus rather than to ultimately give all trust over to him full on faith in Jesus. And in the midst of that dabbling, when they're still like, could he be maybe I don't know, maybe let's see. I mean, they're there. They're trying to figure him out. And in the midst of that, this is their last this is their last chance publicly to dialogue with Jesus and to have them affect the depth of their soul where they now transfer their faith completely over to him, a saving faith that would have changed everything in their lives. But apparently God in his sovereignty, Jesus in his sovereignty, recognized that the chances afforded to that crowd was enough and time's up. I'm out of here. And he is no longer able to be found by them for any more dialogue. Ominous, right? And, and, and by the way, just to prepare us for the passage, this is not a kind of a, a, a little dance through the tulips in this section of scripture. This is the section of scripture that talks the most sternly that God is in control. God is sovereign. And at the end of the day, we better recognize that humble ourselves completely turn from any remnants of trust in self or some sort of a societal approval and have it all rest only on Jesus. And so now Jesus retreats and we begin to read of his dialogue with this inner circle. Even after Jesus had performed, I'm reading the very next verse, verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Those of you might recognize that that's a familiar passage. Why? Because it comes from the servant song of Isaiah, where it talks about the suffering servant who will bear our sins. The suffering of his soul will bring us redemption. It's one of the most famous passages of the Old Testament. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13, all the way through Isaiah 53. And part of it is this very passage that Isaiah had in mind Jesus as he was speaking of this idea that there will be a suffering servant and his message will go out. And not only that, but the arm of the Lord, the many miraculous signs. There have been seven distinct and quite convincing miraculous signs that have been performed up until this point. Very famous miraculous signs curated by John, the writer here. Why? So that these people would be convinced so that you, as you sit there, will be convinced that this is God's plan. He has suspended the natural laws to open our eyes and to realize that the fallenness of the world is going to be upended and beautifully restored to what God has always intended. Please be on board. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Now, this is hard language, by the way, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Wow. Are you are you like allowing the gravity of that to, to actually hit you here? Because this is a big deal. He, he's basically saying not that they've hardened their own hearts, but what does it say? Read the text. Look at the text. Be in the be in the word of God, please. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. At some point in time where he's done with our dabbling, we will be turned over to a, to a, to a final position of being without God. That's a frightening prospect. And I think for any of us that are in this kind of, ah, I'm trying to figure God out, I'm, I'm sort of searching. Well, are you searching in the light or are you searching in the dark? The, the, the searching needs to happen in the light, in the word of God, in a fellowship of people who are children of light, people who are going to call you to light and to holiness. It's, th- this is no small deal. This will be the tone, by the way, throughout the rest of this passage. So let's, let's kind of buckle down and appreciate the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But, but, but this is the reality of God. It's interesting that Jesus just said to them, you know what? Believe in the light while you have the light. You know, he's beseeching them. Come on, you've got the light right now. Believe in the light. But then right afterwards, after he kind of gives that last charge, they don't respond. He hides away from them. And then the remark is made by John as he comments on this. Wow, he blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. You know, sometimes light illuminates. But for those that are not interested in light, they're going to shut their eyes, especially when the light is this bright. And it's not always the case that sunlight softens. In some cases, sunlight hardens. Butter, clay, the sunlight is, is equal to both, but it's kind of, what's the composition of my heart as I'm brought before the light? 
And, and the sadness is, is, is as a result, they neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn. Because if they did, I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus's glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. Seems like there's like a hope here. But then there's a but. <laughs> but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith, openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me doesn't believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Uh, my first point is choose your glory wisely. The glory that these folks here who even began to believe in Jesus decided to pursue and grasp was not the glory of God. What did they want instead? They loved the glory from men more than the glory from God. It is, it is maybe one of the, I don't know, it's, it's as though this is one of the most ghastly reasons for not fully trusting Jesus. Is that I would rather be affirmed by the people around me rather than affirmed by God the creator. And we live in a world where it, it's, it's not as though you're going to be put out of the synagogue. We live in a quote unquote Christian nation. But I, but I think we've got to be careful about this idea of, of living in a environment where seemingly we are, you know, really affirming that we want God's approval. Because make, make no mistake about it, America is far from a holy example of living it all out, trusting in Jesus. Praise God for our constitution and our right and all that, that goes on there. But my, my goodness, it, it doesn't take much of a reading through scripture to, to wonder, wow, how far it is that we've come in our embrace of materialism, in our embrace of might, empire over shalom, in our embrace of, of human means, in trusting in, in human conventions rather than God, uh, for, for sure to see. To, to see even the division of America right now, even amongst those who claim to be godly, uh, it's, it's mind-bending. Praise God to, to be in a, a worship moment like this and to look across and to, and to realize, wow, this is as if they, they shuffled the deck, right? I mean, we've got, you, you name it, uh, from, from a racial perspective right here, all here. And it's not as though, well, there's the, the, the pocket of Asians and there's the, uh, the, the white folks and there's African. No, that, that doesn't, that, that's not even the case here. Praise God. I, 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 sometimes we got to appreciate, wow, how different we are from the culture that is around us. Praise God. But here's the, the, the crazy thing I think about Christian nation is that we have, as a Christian nation, been unfortunately vaccinated against Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, if you get vaccinated for chicken pox, they give you a little bit of chicken pox. Why? Because that will keep you from ever getting full-blown chicken pox. 
America has been vaccinated with a little bit of Jesus. Just enough to feel self-satisfied in many ways. And what does that do? The same thing. It keeps us from getting full-blown Jesus. Full, knowing full-on trust only in Jesus. Because we, well, we trust in this whole enterprise and it includes Jesus, doesn't it, some way or another. Oh my goodness. I mean, that's why it is so important that we are not walking in darkness. The world is darkness, defined again and again by Jesus. He'll do so for the next three chapters. Repeat again and again that, that the world would love to be able to lead us down a path of blindness and darkness. And the only light and chance that we have is through his word. But the world is constantly wanting to shape our brains into its mold. Romans 12, 2 says exactly that. We need to be people in the word of God. And, and when we are, I think we begin to appreciate how stupendous it is that you have a God who wants to praise you. A God who wants to affirm you. Jesus, who wants to embrace you. But if through the variety of actions of our life, we make it plain that, hmm, that's nice. Nice. Not thrilling, but nice. But really what I want today is I want to be affirmed by my buds at school. I want to be really affirmed by my coworkers or by my neighbors. So I'm not going to kind of go there with the whole Jesus thing. Just, you know, enough, like America. But, but not go there like the Bible, and people in the Bible go there, just like I've been conditioned by the inoculated people. I'll, I'll go there to that degree. That's darkness. Of course that's darkness. Right? And my goodness, for, for, for us to, to want rather the approval, whoever it might be, it's going to be the people most near and dear to you. But, but if, if that approval isn't such an approval that it is actually in alignment with the approval of God... Well, then we fall in league with having chosen our glory unwisely. And, and here's the, 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 the real um, frightening part about this. Second Thessalonians 1 says this. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day when he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. But here's the, the, the frightening part about this passage to me is it says, if, if I'm among those that do not choose God, then I will be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. It's as though I am getting what I ask for when I choose friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, affirmation rather than God. I would rather have solidarity with them rather than with God. And at the end of time, it says, you'll get that. You will be apart from the presence of the Lord, which is equated with everlasting destruction and flaming fire. Now, I don't know if it's literally flaming fire, 
But I think that being away from the Lord is worse than flaming fire. So whether that's literal or not, I don't know. But I think it's just some sort of a way to open our eyes to appreciate the fact that it's not what you should want. But if we are just so enthralled by living by sight and perceiving what we think to be deliverance in the darkness, well then, what is waiting for us will be the approval amongst our, 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 our buds here rather than that from God. Choose your glory wisely. What's the glory that you really want to walk around with? And, and by the way, that's the glory that is available to you. You have a glory. You have a street cred in the heavenly places that is incomparable, not measurable, astounding. You, want, you, you, you can walk around like a boss with heavenly glory that is really yours. Do you want to trade all of that in just to be accepted a little bit better? by a bunch of short-sighted folks that aren't going to remember your name 15 years from now? I mean, my goodness, shake it off. Get clear. Choose wisely. My second point is judged by the word. So we ended in verse 47. And there the Bible says, if anyone hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the father has told me. This is a massive statement about the word of God or depending on how you're reading it, about the word of God. It is saying that the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The very word that I've spoken, it's going to be our judge on the last day. And wow, why don't we just do a quick little tour of some of Jesus's words and to imagine standing before holy, 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 Lord God almighty, on the judgment throne of Revelation 20, verses 10 through 15. And, and to imagine being in that side of everything is pure holiness. And I am toxicity to that environment. And here I come with a kind of like a, 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 a slug's slime of pollution uh, following behind me as I walk up to the throne. And, and, and before me, I, I'm not sure who's going to open my book. Is it going to be God or Jesus Maybe one of the holy angels. I think any one of those for, for that great God or angel, whomever it might be, to then have to say words out of their mouth to describe my account of my life. I, I couldn't imagine what that would be. I mean, imagine them just going through all of the deceit that poured forth from me and, and how I thought I was getting one over, even though. Proverbs 5.21 says, God examines all my paths. He gives careful thoughts to all my ways. Ah, but you know what? That's okay. This lie is going to hook me up right now, God. Or all of the awful manipulative seductions that, that went on in my life to, to manipulate a girl into a compromised position, all really to use that person. Use them, literally use them 
and, and have no real long-term intentions, even if there were real long-term intentions, even to just do it just based on my passions rather than on really subordinating myself to God's way. Oh my goodness, to have to have all of that read to me as well. I, I think by the time we got to like, you know, paragraph two, I'd be like, okay, I get it. I, you know, fiery lake of burning sulfur, just, just show me the way, please, show me the way. I mean, I, I, no more, please, no more of this. And, and this is one thing I wonder too. Revelation talks about this happening as if they're reading from your book of life because that's the way that you recorded the events of someone's life. Today, apparently people record the events of people's lives like this. <laughs> I would prefer to be like this, but it is like this. And it's going to show up on that heavenly screen. And I think God will, will have the ability to, you know, of course, shift it to its proper ratio. You know, he'll do, he'll do his little trick in, in uh, Final Cut Pro and it'll, it'll be fine. But, but nonetheless, there it is. If now they're not reading it. Now it's like we used to say in, in the 80s, let's go to the videotape. Right? And, and so we'll, we'll go to the videotape and there I am in full-blown action. Oh, and, and I will think back, why? Why did I choose that glory? And I'll think back, but I had it. I had the word of God. I knew the word of God would judge me on the last day. I knew it would. And yet look at, this is after I knew the word of God would judge me on the last day. And look at me. And look at me. And look at me. Oh my goodness. This is a shot across the bow by Jesus. This is a warning, but it's also a beseeching, a begging of please, please. Don't let it be that he hides from us. Don't let it be that he has arranged the conditions of your life so that maybe the needs in your life and the people that are in your life happen to know the Bible. Here they are coming together, helping you. It's all blossoming into full bloom, seeing the clarity of the path and then to disregard it. But, but let's, let's look at just a, a couple passages, by the way, that Jesus says will judge us at the last day. For example, Matthew 5 says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. Better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. Better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Well, I'm just going through the Sermon on the Mount. Most Ah, oh, Sermon on the Mount, I really like that. Yeah, that's just such deep teaching of Jesus. And I love the way that he kind of flips the values of the world up on its end. Really? Okay, good. Because it's going to judge me on the last day. I'm glad it's such beautiful words. I'm so glad it's such an, an insightful sermon that I have. Okay, how about Matthew 6? If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's no, well, what does that really mean? Face value. I can read it to you in Greek and it's not going to help. It means what it means. And my goodness, to allow any enduring bitterness against someone to keep you from all that God wants to shower upon you. Let the word of God inform you, guide you, shape you. It's why it's here. It's why it's captured. Let's continue through the Sermon on the Mount. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Whoa, but I'm an American, Jesus. Aren't we all like good? We're good. We're good. We're, 
you know what? We got good intentions. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I may have been a blackout drunk for a decade, but, but I was like a happy drunk. I had good intentions. I was, I was always kind of, you know, the life of the party. Surely, right? We're good, right, Jesus? No, only a few. Only a few. I, I, again, my approach to what made me right with God was literally like a man walking in darkness. Full darkness. Not like twilight. Not with a, a phone that's going to guide me in, in my way. God forbid that that guides me in my way. But, but, but in utter darkness. And where I would land in, in that pursuit was only in a deep and darker place. Moving on. Sermon on the Mount concludes with, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Wow. Even the demons actually say that Jesus is the Son of God and shudder. Why? Because they choose not to align themselves with the will of God. It's one thing to say, Jesus is awesome. I love that Jesus. That's my Lord. Not everyone who says that. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Or how about Matthew seven twenty six? in case you think that's a one-off. Right afterwards, he says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Again, you may have the word of God. You may affirm that, yes, this will judge me at the last day. Amen. I'm all in. But it says not everyone who even listens to this, even though you read this, doesn't mean that you're going to be there in the right place. It's not a matter of reading it. It's a matter of it being incorporated into the way that you make sense of God and who you are and thus the way you live your life. That if it, if it just ends with a study, it ended way too soon. Again, this is a sobering moment from Jesus. Do not let this be a time where, where you just kind of stumble over these words of Christ only to brush yourself off and say, Ooh, man, that was scary. I almost got convicted. Almost actually put some things into practice in my life. I almost considered having a daily habit of reading the Bible every day with an intention of incorporating it into the way that I made sense of the world and the way that I lived in this world. Oh, man, if that had happened, ah, oh, man, glad that didn't really happen. That needs to happen. If that doesn't happen today, then we have missed the reason for Jesus giving us these very words that he's given us here. We will be judged by the very words that he has spoken. Luke 12 but God said to him, to the rich fool who built bigger barns because he wanted to store up more for himself. You fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be. Whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. When we live our lives for God, it actually has a real effect on our lives. We, we actually do rearrange what we value and we give our best and our first and our most to God. Yeah. In all aspects. We end up being so astounded by the generous love of God. That we are sprung forward with a, with a, with a grateful generosity back to God in all ways. Again, this is the come on, grab you by the lapels moment from Jesus. To please look hard at this. And then one last one. You knew it was coming. 
Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. All right. And you might be thinking, if you've just kind of stumbled in, is that really in the Bible? Well, I'll give you a moment. Go ahead. Look it up. Luke 14, 25. If you don't have a Bible, you can Google it. Luke 14, 25 to 27. But you know what's not even the most intense part? The most intense part is not if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate their closest relationship. Because that's just a Jewish idiom. If you love one and hate the other, it means that you're choosing in that case. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. We, we talked about that last week in the sermon. If you hate even your own life. Well, that means that you're choosing eternal life rather than your, your life now. One I loved, the other I hated is an idiom of choice. And so what Jesus is saying here is, if you don't choose me, even over the closest person, this wouldn't be such a uh, challenging passage if it said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his postman, his mani-pedi curist, uh, his masseuse, and his uh, third grade teacher, well, then that person can't be a Christian. Right. Well, well, okay. I think I'm good there. No, he goes after it. He goes after the things that would most likely vie for being chosen over Jesus. The hard decision at the end of the day, who are you going to choose Jesus or this other incredibly intense connection that might be pressuring you to in some way or another back off of what it is to make Jesus Lord of your life and to live by his word. And. This is not just theoretical stuff. This, this really is the case again and again. And, and the people that are going to pressure you to no longer align yourself with the will of Jesus are those people that are the closest to you. They're the only ones who have that kind of sway in, in our lives. But the most important, and I say the most intense part, though, is whoever doesn't take up a cross and follow Jesus can't be a Christian. That's intense. That means living as a revolutionary. That means imitating Jesus with all that he does, learning his teachings. That's what follow is in a first century context. That was a technical word. As strong as if you were walking down the mall today and a man in a Marine uniform said to you, enlist. As if he said you enlist, you would know in an instant everything that was expected of you. The same thing if a first century rabbi looks at you and says, follow. The technicality of this word is as, if not even greater than, the the clarity and the technicality of hearing enlist today. This is no casual follow me on Twitter or on TikTok, if that's, you know, what you're into. But, 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 But this is the intensity of realizing everything that is expected with the simplicity of this idea that you are now shifting all of your allegiances, alliances, ambitions, and agenda over from what you were now to Jesus himself. Wow, that's an astounding call. By the way, at the end of the day, the end of your days, end of my days, this is what's coming, coming our way. Praise God that he made it with clarity. And praise God that when we do surrender and align ourselves with this, whenever this happens, whenever we actually live by this, we don't, we don't come back from any experience where we've obeyed and aligned ourselves saying, oh, boy, that was miserable. Boy, I regret having obeyed today. You never do. 
That's the beauty of the Word of God and the, and the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ in our lives. Every time I make a hard decision to obey, I come home, whoa! Oh my goodness! Life in Christ is just so sweet. Praise God of what, oh my goodness, what I was able to experience, what I was able to do, what it is that I was able to see with my own eyes and, and, and experience today. Praise God that my life is not the smallness and emptiness that it was before, but it is now this. I've got glory from God rather than that menial glory that I was kind of running after like an idiot. Praise God that that's the case. He's not calling you to go work in some coal mine. He's calling you to live a glorious life of significance and join him in changing the world. Praise God. And, and, and yet, there, there is one last thing to look at before we close out on this sermon today. And, and it's just simply this last charge. And it's the middle of, of, of what is read to us here from Isaiah. See, understand, and turn. Or as uh, John twelve forty puts it in the ESV, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest... They see with their eyes, understand with their heart, and turn. And if, he, if we do, he heals us. And amen. None of us is beyond that point of no return. Amen. You're gathered here because God wants you to see, understand, and turn. See with your eyes. Understand with your heart. And turn. Rearrange all of your ambitions and allegiances. See the word of God. Embrace it to, to, to real understanding. And let me, let me encourage you today. My goodness, don't let this disruption by Jesus be less than what it was intended to be for them at that time and for us at this time. For them at that time, here's the sadness. It was already too late. He had already slipped away from all that needed to hear this. And this is just commentary at this point. And here's the sadness of what's going to happen to all of them. That's not yet being said about anybody here. Amen. What if it were, though? How sad would that be? Ah, they had their chance. Jesus slipped away. He hasn't slipped away. Instead, instead of hiding himself, he has, a, he has lifted himself up. He has put himself on a cross so that you can see with your eyes, understand with your heart, and turn. Turn towards the only hope. That is real hope in our lives. He has made sure that there is no missing Jesus. There is no hidden from our sight Jesus. He is lifted on high for you to gaze at clearly. See it. Understand it. Understand why that is happening. Understand why you need it to happen. Understand why you need a lamb on this Passover. Understand what it does for you. Understand that it enters you into a dance and beautiful ecosystem of love and grace with Jesus. And as all of that comes, instead of going your own way, turn. Repent. Repent is not something that you do in order to return to God. Repentance is turning back to God. Amen. Repent. Rearrange it all. Disavow whatever has captivated you. See the real glory that is yours. Please. Please, one last time, don't let this go by. Don't let this go by having only understood insights from the word of God more deeply and then not turn. That's what made the Pharisees the Pharisees. They claimed to see. They claimed to see better than anyone else. In John 9, just a few chapters ago, Jesus says, 
And that's why. Because you claim to see, that's why I am now hidden from you. Let us not just claim to see. Let us claim to see and get it. And with excitement, realize I know what I need to do. My heart has remained soft. My eyes have remained clear. And my path is likewise clear. Turn. Turn today. Do whatever it takes. Grab some help. Be a child of light to someone. And, and lastly, as those who have already been full on, all in, living this out with Jesus as children of light, recognize the sadness of the middle of this and let it never be ours. When you feel the temptation to hide your faith because of fear of people, decide instead to reveal your faith because of the love of God. I want to encourage you in every conversation that you have this week, look for the opening. Look for the opening to acknowledge your faith in Jesus. See if you can't be that chess master who can look three moves down the, the, the road in your conversations with people. Put a question in there. Put a statement in there. Ask how their weekend went. Maybe they'll ask how your weekend went. Guess what that allows you to do? Openly acknowledge your faith in Jesus Christ. Let this be a week where we don't allow that, the, the darkness of that path in any way enthrall us. But instead, with eyes that are clear, we run after the return to our dear King. Amen. Amen.